Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. You've been here throughout this series, Dear Jesus. We've talked about a lot of different stuff. I hope if you missed any of it, you'll go back and listen to it because it's like one big sermon broken up over five weeks. It was supposed to be broken up over six weeks, but Maddox gave me COVID too, and so I had to miss a week. And so, uh, but, uh, but I decided to cram six weeks into five. And um, so we did that though successfully, I think. And so uh, I hope you'll go back and listen to pieces that you missed. It's really like one long sermon. So we started off by identifying who or what it was in life that completes us. And that's Jesus and only Jesus, the only source of real living water that satisfies us. And then uh, we talked about the idols or the things in our life that kind of get in the way from Jesus being all that we need to survive, all that we need to be um, filled inside and how those things tend to take his place in our life. And then we uh, discussed the goal or setting the goal of wanting to know Jesus above all else, considering everything else in life to be garbage in comparison to knowing Jesus better. And we talked about how to do that. Uh, we even heard how important it was to be looking for and inviting suffering into your life. And that sounds almost contrary to what you might hear in a lot of church services around the world today. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be inviting suffering in your life because it's in that suffering that you actually share experiences with the Lord and uh, you get to know him deeper. And then last week we saw how important communication and teamwork are to the whole process. And if you don't have good communication with the Lord, if you don't have good teamwork around you, you're not going to succeed in this effort to know and love Jesus better, to be more connected with him, to be um, deeper, have a deeper intimacy with him. And so that's the goal, right? To, to think of Jesus like this deer thinks of a drink uh, from a cool stream, that he's desperate for it and wants it so badly. And so today I want to wrap up this series with a question. Okay, here's the question. You ready? Is it time for a change? Because the title of what we're talking about today is Time for a Change. So let me ask you that question. Is it time for a change? So keep that in your head. You, that's rhetorical. You can kind of think that to yourself. But think about it just for a minute. We'll come back to it. Is it time for a change? And let me read you two verses out of the paragraph I told you we're going to look at in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 7, says this. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. All right, I'm going to um, flip back through those verses just for a second because I want to kind of talk through them with you. Can we just talk through those two verses together just for a minute? So go back to verse 7. And in verse 7, this is what you would call um, in Christianity or in theological circles, this is the principle of sowing and reaping, okay? So some translations of the Bible say uh, uh, you'll reap what you sow. Maybe you've heard people say that in life. It's kind of like a, a common phrase. People will say like, oh, you'll get yours, right? Usually they're saying it for something negative. Like, well, you act like that, you're going to get yours, right? So it's the principle of uh, reaping and sowing, or in this case, in this translation, of planting and harvesting, Right? And that's really what this principle is. It's that there's a, a congruency in the universe. And this isn't just in spirituality or Christianity. This is in all of creation. There's a congruency of you're going to get the result 
that you put into it. You're going to reap or you're going to harvest what you sow or what you plant. In other words, it would be incongruent for you to go out into your yard and plant apple seeds and expect orange trees to grow, right? It's incongruent of you um, to smack people in the face and expect them to appreciate it. It's incongruent of you to spend all your money and then, and then expect there to be more money in your wallet when you open it up. You get what you put into stuff. You reap what you sow. You harvest what you plant. This is the principle that God tries to teach us all throughout the Bible. Paul's writing it here in Galatians 6, that you will harvest only what you plant. Don't be misled. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. You might think you're pulling the wool over God's eyes, that you're getting away with something, that you're tricking him, but don't be misled. You can't trick God. You can't mock his justice. You will always harvest what you plant. Now the next verse, verse 8, he goes ahead and explains what this principle looks like in terms of your relationship to God. He explains what this principle looks like if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to be closer connected with the Lord. Let's look through it together. Verse 8, the first part says this. Here's the one side of it. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest, there's that word again, only decay and death from that sinful nature. If you plant into your life only doing what your sinful nature wants to do, you will at some point harvest death and decay from it. Don't be misled. Don't be fooled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You cannot pull one over on him. If you live to satisfy your selfish, sinful desires, you will only get out of that death and decay. Now here's the second half of the verse. He gives the other side of the coin, right? But those who live to please the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, that is God, those who live to please God will at some point will harvest, will get, will receive everlasting life from God, from the Spirit. These are the two, two sides of the coin. The two sides, the two pieces of the principle of reaping and sowing or planting and harvesting. These are your options. That you either get to live for yourself, however you want to live, pleasing your own selfish desires, or you get to live for the Holy Spirit, what he wants you to do, following his instructions and guidance. If you choose to live only for yourself, expect death and decay. Don't be misled or surprised when life feels hollow and empty and when you end up feeling alone and disconnected from God. If you live to please the Spirit and to honor and obey what he tells you to do, then you can expect to receive or to get or to harvest everlasting life. Okay. So what stuck out to me when I was reading through those two verses this week was the word life. It just like, it grabbed my attention for some reason. And I thought, I want to know what God means when he says everlasting life. Does he mean I get heaven? Is that what he's talking about? Because I can see how I would sell God down the river if the promise he's giving me is just heaven, because I don't really understand how great that's going to be, and that might not be enough for me to delay serving myself or doing whatever my sinful desires say to do, that might not be enough to convince me to follow his way and put all the stuff I want on hold for 80 years. 
So is that what he means? So I did a good word study. I'm not going to uh, take you through all of it, but you can do it on your own sometime. A good word study on the Greek word for life right here. Okay, he's offering us everlasting life. Put up verse 8b just one more time. Is that what he's offering us? Those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. That word life there is the Greek word zoe. You can write it down if you want. Z-O-E. Or if you're Greek, it's, uh, what is that? Zeta, Omega, Epsilon. It sounds like a fraternity, right? Zoe. Okay, Zoe. Now, it looks like it's the word that means you're alive, right? But that isn't what it means. There's another Greek word that simply means come to life. Alive, born. This word zoe in the Greek goes deeper than that. It actually refers to physical, emotional, and spiritual fulfillment. It refers to the source or sustenance of all life throughout the whole universe. And it always comes only in connection to God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit in the Bible. It's always connected to God, who is himself the source of all life and is himself the source that holds all other things together. In other words, without him, there is no life, not just breath, not just being alive. There is no fulfillment. There is no satisfaction internally. There is no emotional health. There is no sustenance for your life. God himself is the source, and he is self-existent life. And depends on nobody else. And he offers to us Zoe, life. He shares this gift with people by creating you in his image. And then offering you the capacity to know eternal life by knowing him eternally. Literally, life is to be connected to the source of life. Which is only God. And what he offers us, if we will live for the Spirit and obey what he says to do, is eternal connection to Zoe. Eternal connection to fulfillment and sustenance. Eternal connection, inside and outside. That we couldn't take a breath without him, but more than that, we could never feel hope or fulfillment without him. It's internal and external. So don't confuse it and think, well, it's just being alive. He offers me life in heaven. No, it's more than that. And it starts today. Heaven doesn't start after you die. It doesn't start after Jesus comes back. It starts the minute that you get connected to the source of all life. Eternity started the day you decided to follow Jesus. And so for the believer, there's this connection to God that's available if we follow the Spirit's leading. And so it made me think of this story I heard, and I looked it back up to read it again, and I shrunk it down and paraphrased it for our group because I didn't want anybody in our group to think I was talking about them. And so I kind of changed some of the stuff in it so you wouldn't think this was a story about you. If it sounds like you, I promise it wasn't the intention, but I tried to make it as uh, um, non-related to our group as I could. But let me just read you the story and then tell you where it took me this week. There she sat, lonely and frustrated, frustrated that God hadn't delivered the greatest desire of her heart to have a husband. She had just turned 40 and had never been married. She was tired of praying, tired of waiting and waiting and waiting. But most of all, she felt convinced that her life was somehow less than, 
Being single is not the abundant life Jesus promised, she stated emphatically. Her pain is certainly understandable. And it's heart-wrenching when you empathize with the emotions of feeling like you're the only girl or the only guy without a date to the prom. Maybe you can feel her loneliness, her cries late at night when only God can hear her. Her one zillionth prayer for a man that she wasn't even sure existed. But is that really the absence of abundant life? I ask you today, is that what that means? So I went to the verse that she quoted, maybe misquoted, John chapter 10, verse 10. We'll show it to you, be on the screen. John chapter, chapter 10, verse 10, it says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus is speaking. And in some translations, he says, instead of a rich and satisfying life, it's translated a life and a life to the fullest or a life, life more abundant. And so here this lady quotes this verse and says, this singleness, it's not the life I was promised. It's not the abundant life Jesus told me I would get. Is this what he's talking about? He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And there's that word again, zoe, life. And so what happens is like we get our eyes on the wrong goal. We start to think that pieces of the process are the goal. But I kept reading. You keep reading. If you want to read John 10, great chapter on seeing how much God loves you and how much he cares for you, how he wants to provide for you and keep you safe. Oh, it's all so good. But if you keep reading about four verses later in verse 14, listen to what Jesus says now. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. All throughout the chapter, he presents himself as the shepherd and we're like the sheep. So in verse 10 doesn't make sense. I thought we were talking about sheep and shepherds all throughout this chapter. Now in verse 10, he seems to be talking about thieves and abundant life. What's going on? There's a connection between life, zoe, and know, which this word know in the Greek is gnosko. It kind of sounds like to know, but it means to know, right? But it's more than just knowing in your head. It's to know somebody experientially, not intellectually. To know somebody on a heart level. I mean, I know LeBron James, but I know my wife. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference. Is there a difference? Gnosko means you know somebody experientially. And Jesus, all throughout this chapter, connects. I've come to give everybody a rich and satisfying life over and over again with this idea that I know them and they know me. Earlier in the chapter, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. They won't go to a phony shepherd. They won't go to a hired hand. They won't come when the wolf calls them. They listen for the shepherd's voice and they know me. And I know them. There's a connection between that life, that zoe, that fullness, that fulfillment, that sustenance inside and outside. There's a connection between that and knowing God experientially or intimately. That's what this series is all about. That you would go beyond, I know some stuff the Bible says, and I know God up here in my head, that you would go past that to like, no, I know him like a deer desperately longs to drink from the stream. I want to be up close to him every day, right beside him. But the devil tricks us. And to stop focusing on the goal and start focusing on the process. He tricks us into thinking that parts of the process are the goal. Like, is the goal to get a husband? That's the goal? 
Because if it's the goal and you're 40 and you haven't been married yet, then you should be disappointed. You should give up and quit. You should be angry. But is that the goal? I brought a goal with me today. I tried to find somebody that had a goal. Nobody has a goal because nobody in this county plays soccer or hockey. Just throwing that out there. Somebody needs to start playing hockey. All right, so I brought a goal with me instead because I couldn't find a real one. So I brought a picture of a goal, okay? So when I was a kid, I played a lot of hockey, a lot of street hockey, a lot of roller hockey, a lot of floor hockey. They didn't have an ice rink where I grew up, so I didn't play ice hockey. But I would love to play ice hockey someday too. So I was going to bring my hockey stick, but I thought that would make me look a little too much serial killer-like, so I didn't do that. But here's the goal, right? And so sometimes you look at the goal in life, and it feels really far away. And you feel like you're never going to get there. And then somebody comes along, usually somebody with a big old thick Bible, Christian, trying to tell you about the good news, right? And they're like, you don't have to be like that anymore. You can get up close to the goal. You can experience freedom and success. And they tell you all about Jesus and the gospel. And you decide to follow Jesus with your whole heart and receive his free gift of salvation. And all of a sudden, life feels good. And you feel like now the goal has come right up next to you. And you feel like, oh, this is good. I'm right here by the goal. I can make a shot from here. Even if I've never played before, I'm good. I feel good about it, right? And somebody told you that's what Christianity was like. And then the devil comes along and he tries to convince you that the goal isn't knowing Jesus. It isn't Jesus rescuing you. It isn't getting freedom and salvation. It isn't life that Jesus is offering. It's part of the process. So I became a Christian, and now it's all going to work out. But wait a second, I'm still single. I'm still broke. I'm still sick. I'm still tired and frustrated. I still feel disrespected. I still can't stand this marriage. I still want a bigger house. And, I still, and nothing's working out. And the devil's like, yeah, you'll never get there. <laughs> and you start walking away. You think, I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to get where I want to get. And slowly but surely, your Christian walk seems to be this walk that's taking you further and further away from the goal. And you're looking at the goal down the road and thinking, man, I'll never make a shot from here. I'll never be able to get there. What's happened is the devil's tricked you. He's tricked you into thinking the goal isn't to know and love and be connected to Jesus. The goal is a bunch of stuff that you long for. He's tricked you into thinking Zoe isn't connected to knowing Jesus. It isn't connected to intimacy with God. It's connected with how you feel and the stuff you have. So you find yourself really far away from it, looking at it, thinking like, this is the Christian life. I don't feel fulfilled. The abundant life, this isn't what I was promised. I'm going to give up. Because we make this mistake. Here's the mistake we make. The greater the distance gets between us and the goal, the more discouraging it feels. Now, I can tell you that's the truth in hockey. That's the truth in soccer. That's the truth in every sport. The further away you get from the goal or the basket, the further away you get from scoring, the more discouraging it feels. In fact, I could get my kids and I could bring them to a, a slide at a park. And if the slide was three or four steps high, they'd be like, I can do that. If the slide was eight or nine steps high, they'd be like, I'll give it a shot. If the slide was 12 or 15 steps high, they'd be scared. The harder it gets, the further away it gets, the more distance between you and the goal, the more discouraged you feel. 
And you got to remember that because when you feel like there's a great distance between you and the goal, you're going to feel discouraged. But here's the truth. The day I decide to follow Jesus, the day I decide to surrender to him, he never leaves me. I'm always the same distance from the goal. Now, I might be further away from parts of the process, but I'm still right there with the goal. So I can't believe the lie. And we get our eyes on the wrong goal because that's what the devil's trying to do. He thinks, I can't keep you out of heaven anymore, but I can keep you believing that Jesus isn't right there with you, that you're all by yourself, that this isn't fair. He's trying to get you to change the goal. So you'll be convinced that what it takes to reach the goal is your effort. So now I'm far away from the goal that I see. I think, okay, I want to get there. How do I get there? Well, I want that money, so i got to get that degree. So I think I'm going to take a step towards that goal. I want that degree. I need need a second degree. Now I need a good job. Now I need a hot wife. Now I need kids. Now I need a big house. And I think I'm taking step after step closer to the goal when I'm not. Think about it for a second. This was something that Paul in the New Testament had to write to multiple churches. We somehow believed that Jesus' grace was exactly what I needed to save me. But now it isn't what I need to solve me. Now to solve all my problems, what I need is effort. Now what I need to, to fix all my problems in life is more work on my part. How will you that were saved by grace so quickly run back to the law for life? But the truth is that God's grace is not just what saves you. It's also what solves you. And it's also what sustains you. And there is no equation where you sustain yourself or you solve your own problems. That's following after your sinful nature. It leads you only to death and decay. John Piper said in an interview one time, I have dealt with so many people who are ready to give up their Christian faith precisely because of the slowness of their sanctification rather than because of physical harm that's been brought to them or hurt that's come into their life. They're just so tired of trying. I want to free you today. I want to remind you today. I want to show you from God's word today that it takes time for a change. If you were here a few weeks ago, I shared the definition of sanctification with you. Let me give it to you again. It'll be on the screen. This is what this whole series is about, this big theological word, sanctification. So here's what, the, here's what sanctification means. You ready? It's the lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. It's not the one-minute process. It's not the extra 30 seconds in your microwave process. It's not the one week or the one decision or the one step of faith. It's not the month-long process or the I came to church twice this year process. It's the entire life process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And I get it. It never happens fast enough. I get it. But that's what sanctification is. It's going to take a long time. Let me see if I can sum this series up for you better. Here's how I would sum up this whole series. Let me give you three phrases that could sum up everything we've taught over the last five weeks, last six weeks. Sanctification, this process, sanctification comes from Jesus and only Jesus. 
Sanctification comes not just from Jesus, but it comes through suffering. I know I don't like that. I don't like it either, but it's the truth. And sanctification comes over a lifetime. It's a lifetime of suffering, missing stuff, missing the mark, not getting what you want, learning endurance and patience, doing it Jesus' way, not always the way you want, begging him to help you, and him, with his grace, not just saving you, but solving your problems, sustaining you, giving you life over and over again. So why does the slowness of our sanctification bother us so much? Why does it surprise us? I don't know. I thought of a couple reasons this week. Here's what I could come up with. Maybe it's because our high-speed culture has influenced our expectations more than we think it has. And we think everything should come quick. And so when it doesn't, we're frustrated. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's our own pride that has caused us to misjudge our own power of endurance just like Peter did in Matthew chapter 26 when he looks at Jesus and he says, if everybody else abandons you, Jesus, I will never abandon you, only the next day to turn his back on him and deny he even knows him. Maybe it's our own pride that's overestimated how much endurance we really got for the Lord. Or maybe you've heard too many Christians in your life tell you the secret or the key to overcoming some sin or struggle you've got only to find out it didn't work. And you'd be like, I guess nothing works because the quick fix didn't work and the secret didn't pan out and the key they told me didn't seem to really fit my struggle. Most of those suggestions that Christians give or people give tend to oversimplify what we're battling anyhow. We definitely didn't get that idea that, sanct that sanctification is supposed to be quick from the Bible. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say, after a week of following Jesus, you're going to be perfect just like him, and you'll never have to work on anything ever again, and you'll never have to depend on his grace for any help ever again. No, we didn't get that from the Bible. Definitely not. In the Bible, it's always presented as a long view, a lifetime of becoming more and more like Jesus. In fact, the Bible compares us to a lot of different things, a lot of different people. I'm going to give you three of them from the New Testament. Can I give you three things the Bible compares us to in the New Testament? Here's the first one. Children. It says we're like children who have to grow up. Now, how long does that take? <laughs> Some of you are in your 50s and you're still waiting, right? How, how long does it take to grow up? Is that going to happen in a day or a week or a month? How long does it take to grow up, to go from being a child to being a mature adult? Why are we so confused? Why do we think sanctification is supposed to happen fast? Because God says we're supposed to grow up as children grow up. That takes a long time. Here's something else we're compared to in the Bible. We're compared to runners. Runners. But not just any old runners. You can write these verses down if you want to check them out later, but I won't read them all to you. But we're not, we're not compared to runners like sprinters. In fact, we're not even compared to marathon runners. We're compared to runners who are in a race that will last our entire life. In fact, it wasn't until like his very dying breath words that Paul says, I have finished the race that I've run. It's a whole life of running. Here's another one. We're compared in the New Testament to farmers. Farmers that throw out seed. And wait for it to grow. 
Now, how quick does that happen? You see what I'm saying? It's incongruent with God's view of your life for you to think you're going to plant a seed and tomorrow have corn. The harvest won't be ready tomorrow. It's incongruent for you to think, well, I'm like a little kid, but I'm going to be an adult tomorrow. Everybody would know that'd be foolishness. It's incongruent for you to think, I'm going to run this race for the Lord, and as soon as the starting gun goes off, you think, I won! It's, it, it doesn't make any sense. You've got to take the long view of the Christian life. We're like children growing up. We're like runners in a lifelong race. We're like farmers who plant crops. Of course, that's the example in Galatians chapter 6 we just looked at. We just looked at that we, we sow and then we reap, but we don't reap right away, do we? So every decision I make and every choice I take in my life and every gift that God gives me and every hard time he puts me through and every blessing he drops in my lap, all of it is part of sanctification. All of it is part of helping me become more and more like Jesus, but none of it happens quick enough for me to see it. It's not until I look in the rearview mirror and I say, man, I remember what I was like 20 years ago that I can get a glimpse of what Jesus is doing as he slowly invades every piece of my life and becomes Lord over another thing and Lord over another thing and master over another decision. It doesn't happen at once. You don't decide to follow Jesus and become Joe Cool Christian all of a sudden. It takes your whole life. And when you get to the end of your life, the one thing you'll finally realize is this. I'm still not there. And the day I die, I'll still need the same grace from Jesus that I needed on day one when I decided to give him my whole heart. I only win the fight. I only win the race. I only get the crops. I only experience all the victory and freedom and salvation. I only experience all of it when I die or Jesus comes to get me. But until then, i got to keep going because it's going to take my whole life to become more and more like him. And I won't be able to do it. And if I take my eyes off the goal and decide that the goal is actually some part of the process, I'm going to convince myself that I can achieve the goal by trying harder. That's just where the devil wants you. Try harder. Do more. Make it happen. You can work it all out. Instead of, man, this is hard, but I'm still right here next to the goal. He's got me right in the palm of his hand. I hear his voice. I know him. I'm connected to him. I know him. He gives me life. Okay, I'm not married yet, but I got life. Okay, I'm not rich, but I got life. Okay, I don't have it all figured out, and I don't know how to parent right yet, but I got life. And every time I fail, I'll say, but Jesus has got me, Zoe. Jesus has got me. Right where he had me in day one. It's sad for me because we live in a county full of people who believe that their effort or lack of effort, their choices, their sin, costs them the very thing Jesus died to give them. And somehow they believe that Jesus was enough to save them, but now he's not enough to sustain them. And while his grace is all they needed to rescue them and give them eternal life in heaven, his grace somehow isn't enough if they make a mistake to hold them tight in his hand now. That's sad for me. And it's sad for me for you when you fall into the same trap. Don't fall into the trap. Now let me make two clarifications about this before I go on. Taking the long view of sanctification. 
does not mean that nothing in your life happens quickly. I know that there are people in our room, me included, that could give you testimony of how overnight deliverances have happened from struggles they've had that enslaved them for years. But just because we're talking about the long view of sanctification doesn't mean we should stop praying for God to do huge, big, instant things in our life. And if you think that, go back and listen to last week's podcast, please. Clarification number two, taking the long view of sanctification doesn't give you permission to justify spiritual negligence. You can't keep putting off spiritual responsibility and maturity under the false pretense of patience. You can't be 48 and still say you're a kid. Grow up. Do what God's telling you to do. It isn't an excuse to say, well, I'll do that tomorrow because for so many people, tomorrow always looks just like today. And every time I've ever heard somebody say to me, well, I'll tithe once I get out of debt. I'll serve once I'm a little bit more comfortable there. I'll participate and show up more often once my schedule frees up. Tomorrow always looks like today and they never get there. Because you're never going to feel like you got enough money and you're never going to feel like you're comfortable enough and you're never going to feel like you got enough time. Am I going to live for the Spirit or am I going to live based on what I think? And so you can't be negligent about that. So I want to show you just one of those examples as we kind of wrap up today. Go to that one in Mark chapter 4. I'm just going to read it to you. The example of where we're compared to farmers. Listen to this. Mark chapter 4 verse 26. Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. This is us. You ready? This is us. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. But he does not understand how it happens. This is sanctification. I, I take God's word and I plant it. But I don't sit there and watch it, do I? Because if I watch it and feel like it never grows, I go to sleep. And while I'm asleep, is the word still growing? Is the seed still sprouting up? Absolutely. Look, he goes on. The earth produces the crops on its own. First the leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed. And finally the grain is ripened. It's a long process. You get it? And I can't see it happen. You ever try to watch corn grow? Do you guys ever try to watch your vegetables grow? Opie and Tuesday got a humongous garden at home now. It's like the secret garden. You ever sit and watch the vegetables grow? Do you ever see them grow? You can't do that. It doesn't work like that. Sanctification doesn't work like that. Finally, the, grains, the grain ripens. And then look at verse 29. And as soon as the grain is ready... The farmer comes and harvests, harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. Now look back at Galatians 6, where we started off today. Galatians 6, where he said, serve yourself or serve the Spirit. And look at the next verse, verse 9. He says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. In other words, it's going to take some time, everybody. Stay the course. Don't get tired of doing good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I get it that teachers and friends and society and everybody, maybe Christians, are all telling you to do your own thing, to trust your feelings and to go with your gut. I get it. I get it that they're all telling you you came from apes and you can decide what gender you want to be and you can do whatever you feel like doing and God loves everybody, doesn't he? You cannot mock the justice of God. 
You can't pull one over on them. You can't trick them. You can't make up your own faith. You don't get your own personal Jesus to mold him. He's not a little claymation character that you get to create and walk around and say, when I need something, now give it to me, Jesus. No, he's the God of the universe. So don't get tired of doing the right things. Don't get tired of doing it God's way. Don't get tired of doing what the Spirit says because when the time is just right. You'll get a harvest of blessing. I get it. You want a husband. You want a wife. You want a degree. You want a better job. You want more money. You want to be healthy. You want all these things. And they're not coming fast enough. I get it. For any of us. But you still got the goal right there with you. Life. He's got you through all of it. Don't give up. Don't get tired of doing what's good at just the right time you'll reap a harvest of blessing. At the beginning today, I asked you a question. I said, is it time for a change? It's really a bad question because it's always time for a change. And that really wasn't the point of the title today. The point of the title today wasn't to ask you, is it time for a change? It's definitely time for a change. The point of the title was to tell you it takes time to change. It takes time for a change. It's not going to happen today. Today is just one or two decisions. You just make one or two decisions to do what God's telling you to do. You say, but I can't see how it's going to end up. No, you can't. But sometime in the fall, there'll be corn. And sometime down the road, you'll be able to vote and drive and get a job, and get married. But you're not there yet. Sometime down the road, you'll be a grown-up. You'll be reaping a harvest. Sometime down the road, you'll finish the race. It just won't be today. You're not going to be able to see the finish line when you start the race. You're not going to be able to see the crops when you plant the seeds. This is why you have to have faith. You have to trust that God's way is right, even when you can't see it. So I plant the seed of obedience today. And I take all the responsibility for the outcome off my shoulders. God's responsible for all that. And I just do what he's telling me to do. I live by the Spirit. And in exchange, I get to know him better. And as I know him better, he blesses me with everlasting life. It starts right now. I get connected to the goal, to the source. You have to remember the whole time throughout the whole process, it was grace that brought you safe thus far, and it'll be grace that leads you home. How can we sing all these hymns of the faith growing up and still not know what the words mean? Why did we abandon the grace we needed on day one? Because we need it just as much today as we did the first day. And to kind of not overquote him, but to quote more words from John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. I read this this week that he spoke near the very end of his life. This is what he wrote. Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am still a great sinner, but Jesus is still a great Savior. You need the same grace today you needed on day one. Christian, if you're here, you can know Jesus better. It isn't going to be about your effort. It isn't going to be about all the things you can do or not do. It's going to be about you depending on the same grace today that you depended on day one. You want to know him better today? Then press into that grace. Just do what he's telling you to do. When it doesn't work out, when you can't see the end game, when you can't figure out how it's all going to fit together, don't worry about any of that. That's all on him. All I got to do is stay close to the source, stay close to the goal, Keep my eyes on him, not get distracted with the process, 
It's one step after another, one seed after another, one year after another. And I'll look back in 20 years and I'll be like, look how far God's brought me. I'm not everything I want to be, but I'm not the same person I was back then. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, we bless our church. Bless them with the wisdom to hear your truth today and the courage to step out of their comfort zones and walk by faith this week to depend on your grace and not their effort to trust you and walk obediently, not because they see the end, but because they see you. In Jesus' name I pray.